0: It's a joy to be sharing from God's Word, and I have to do this with fear and trembling, with, you know, when when you have people who have been working in the Lord's field for, you know, 50 years and over, you know, and people like me who, have, do not have those many years and experience, you know, come with that understanding and humility that it's only God's grace that gives us an opportunity to stand and share from God's Word. God has been good and He continues to be good and uh, I'm not used to this kind of, uh, you know, speak, you know, yeah, but I have to put up with it, because, you know, at least there is one person who would like to hear uh, the recording of the message that I want to share this morning, and that person is very dear to me. Uh, So, having said those few things, uh, what I want to share with you today is a few things, basically it will be in the form of reminders, uh, more than anything new coming home. But at the same time, even as I was looking through these things briefly, uh, there were certain myths which uh, were exploded in my mind. I Means, you know, those myths were burst, and it's uh, it's God in His grace, you know, has revealed a few things which I would like to share with you, which may not be new for you, and which is not definitely new, uh, in the sense that I have been sharing this all along. So, there is no new message. It is all old. It's all the same. It's a repetition. It's a reminder. But I believe it is good for our souls to be reminded of these truths. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this time and thank you, Lord, for your kindness in giving me and us an opportunity to come and explore your heart, your word. God, we realize and acknowledge, Lord, that your word is not information, it is life transforming. So we pray that these words which encounter us, your word which encounter us will be an encounter with the living God. Oh God who who speaks to us in such intimate and such definite ways that we will be the people that you want us to be. Thank you for having heard our prayers. For we've asked and offered it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, one of the things that I have growingly understood I means like one of the things that <clears throat> I have understood over the last year or two, because I am going through a personal renewal and transformation in my theology, in how I look at the scriptures, how I share the gospel. It's all I'm my intentional uh aim is to look everything from god's perspective rather than from a theology from down upward a theology which is from upward down so i like to see things from the eyes of god how god looks at it because for me god has done me a favor I have not done him a favor, but oftentimes, even when we present the gospel, we make it feel like the other person in accepting Christ oh, you're doing God a favor in coming to him. He doesn't need us, he doesn't need any one of us. And what you're going to hear today is the same. You don't want to follow Christ because it's attractive, because health, wealth, and prosperity is assured. But I'll tell you, it is something totally different than what we assume or we have thought of what it means to follow Christ. I am looking at the Beatitudes, and I'll be looking at a few verses from chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6 and chapter 7. Now, if there was a title to it, The State and Attitude of Those Who Follow Jesus Christ. They are blessed not because they are healthy, wealthy, and famous, more, and they, it is, the blessing that we are talking about is not something like they are favored of God in a general sense of being happy, but actually what I am talking and what the scripture is talking when it says, blessed are the poor in heart, blessed are the meek, what it says is this is a state of well-being in relationship to God himself. So the term blessed there is to, it encompasses a vibrant, rich relationship with the God who called us to himself and the price for which was his own son dying on the cross for our sins. So that is the blessedness that is for those who who fall into this. So let me read it for you. Seeing the crowd, Matthew's Gospel chapter 5, seeing the crowds he went upon the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for theirs is Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad exceedingly. That's the old uh, KJV. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. (laughs) What is it that makes the disciple of Jesus blessed. It is a call and promises that makes the follower or the disciple of Jesus blessed. Why? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven or theirs is the kingdom of God. This kingdom, if you read through the gospels and you come to the epistle, it talks about the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because it is that who are blessed in such a way to them belongs The kingdom and the king. Let's begin with the first one. What does it say? Blessed are the poor. What does it mean to be poor? What is the poor that, who are the poor here? The poor are people who have no security. Their lives, they don't have the security of maybe a country, maybe a home maybe a steady job. They don't have the security of a financial well-being. They are, there is no security. There is no possession. There is no home. And let me just add something more to it. These are poor. They don't claim to have any spiritual powers. They don't have any special knowledge or experience. They have lost everything even their own selves. They are so inexperienced, the world may see them as stupid. They have no other hope other than the one who called them, the one who became poor for their sake so that they may truly become rich. Blessed are the poor. What's so attractive about them? But God says, These are blessed people. These are my people. This is what characterizes my people who are blessed. For whom I died, they are poor, but still they are rich because they are found in me. They have given up everything so that they could be rich in me. They are blessed are those who mourn. These are people who mourn for the world. they mourn for its guilt, they mourn for its fate, they mourn for, you know they, it's like Psalm 119 and verse 136 says, "My eyes shed tears because people do not keep your law." How many of our hearts break when you open your newspaper? My heart was cringing, it was, it, was, it was breaking when I was looking through some of the images on, you know, in our, on our screens and in the recent past on the, in the newspapers. The blatant defiance of God, the raising of their fist against God. When God says, you shall not, humans say, be well. Isn't that true in our lives too? When God says you shall not do this, we raise our fist and say, We will. And still God is gracious. He's not broken out in wrath, in the just wrath is due upon us. He's not yet done that. Does our heart break when we see the sins that are that surrounds us? Do we see, do, does our heart break with the things that breaks the heart of God? That is what it says: Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. One of these days, God will hold them to his breast and say, everything is going to be all right. It is not necessarily, you know, my sick ones are going to be healed. Or, but these are people who mourn for the things of God because they have the heart of God. Blessed are the meek. Who are the meek? They are our refugees. They are the disenfranchised. They don't have a home. They don't have rights. They hunger and thirst for personal and you know, they, they, they are they are not the strong, they're aggressive or harsh. But those who cri- those who like Christ became meek as a lamb led to the slaughter. Oh, we live in a world, and especially, means I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about people who claim to follow Jesus Christ. We are so hung up on our rights. We are so hung up on, this is my right. This is how I should be treated, or this is no, not the way I should be treated. But here it says, blessed are the meek. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. That is the characteristic of those who follow Jesus. Then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The righteousness that is, they renounce their own righteousness. They know they are as sinful as the next person sitting across them or the person on the street. They hunger and thirst for personal and social justice. They look for the individual and universal rule of God. The prayer that is on their lips, those who thirst and hunger for righteousness is this. Our Father, what in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Blessed are the merciful. These are people who don't stand on their dignity. They offer forgiveness for the guilty and compassion for the suffering and needy. The only honor, the only honor and dignity they know is the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ who for our sake became man. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, a heart totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers. They not only have the peace, but they make peace possible. Blessed are the persecuted for a just cause. Blessed are the persecuted and reviled for Jesus' sake, for my sake, on my account. You know such people... Where do you find such people? <coughs> Where do you find such people? The only place for such a people is at the cross, at the foot of the cross. Let me listen to this. Bear with me. The fellowship of the Beatitudes. the blessedness of those who follow Jesus Christ is the fellowship of the crucified. The blessedness, the fellowship of the Beatitudes is in the fellowship of the crucified. All what I read to you, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted, the one persecuted and reviled for Jesus' sake. All of these people, one thing about them is this. And where will you find them? You will find them at the foot of the cross. The fellowship of the Beatitudes is found in the fellowship of the crucified. Unless and until you're willing to die to yourself, you cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to make it very, very clear. There is nothing attractive about the cross. But if you want to follow Jesus Christ, if you want to come to a god who has come down to receive you with open arms and he spread out his arm on that calvary stray you have to die with him you have to be found at the foot of the cross there is no other place where blessedness is promised other than at the foot of the cross the fellowship of the beatitudes is in the fellowship of the crucified Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. There the poor shall be seen in the halls of joy. With his own hand, God wipes away the tears from the eyes of those who had mourned on earth. He feeds the hungry at his banquet. There stands the scarred body of the martyrs, now glorified and clothed in the white robes of eternal righteousness. The echoes of this joy, this joy, this rejoicing reaches the little flock below as it stands beneath the cross and they hear Jesus saying, Blessed are ye. You want to hear and experience the blessedness of that that harmonious relationship between God and yourself? There is no other way other than coming to the foot of the cross and saying, "Here I am, because God has come. He is come in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has made it possible for us to reach out and say, "God, thank you for coming. Here I am. I want to experience this blessedness that you talk about, which is so countercultural. And for those of us who have experienced it, the interesting thing is this: though it holds no attraction to the world, though it is so countercultural, when you come to the foot of the cross and when you experience that blessedness, He becomes everything. And you scream out with Peter and say, we have tasted and found Him indeed to be sweet and beautiful. And He becomes the delight of our heart. He captures the affections of our heart. We are lost in Him. We are devoted to the point that all other things are seen as hate. We will come to that. But I want to take you a little further. I'm not talking about a people who are just good for heaven. But I'm also talking about this very people who are essential for the survival of this planet. Believe me, the green movement is not going to save this planet. Your social justice, though good, is not going to save your planet. Nothing that you and I do can save this planet except the people who are called blessed here. People who are found at the cross of Christ. That is our calling. We are left here to preserve the earth. And let me read it to you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Who? The blessed, the poor, the meek, I'm reading verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. And look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. And verse 16. It says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, Christians, we get so caught up with, you know, the insecurities of our lives. I'm guilty of the same. I'll come to that a little later. We forget our high calling in Christ. Though we may be poor in spirit, as compared, you know, when people look at us, we may look like the meek, the poor, the despised, the rejected, the fools who appear to be so stupid. How can they be so stupid? It's a common refrain. How can they do these things? Why, how do they give up these things? Isn't they, don't they know they have to care for their families and their children? Why are they putting their children through these things? Why are they taking them to places which is so inhospitable? Don't they know that they can die of malaria and they can die of you know Ebola or whatever it is? Why is it that they go out and put themselves out there for the sake of the kingdom? Why is it? that the Bible calls these people blessed and not the others who are so smart and wise and who are so secure and content. And God tells you are the salt of the earth. You are indispensable necessity of life they are the salt of the earth. They preserve the earth from decay. They are, likewise, they are the light of the world, showing the world of its true condition. They are the visible community on earth needed for its survival and for it to recognize its fallen state. And let me say something here. Flight into invisible is a denial of the call. A community which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. I want to make a personal confession here. I love the rural side. Personally speaking, I can live on my own on an island. I don't need people. And that is the honest truth. I I enjoy nature to that extent. I can be out in the wild, stay out there. I've often looked at homes and the rural side, you know, and I say, why God? I love it. It's so cheap. If I sell my house here, at least I can get rid of my mortgage and I have no mortgage and I can live mortgage-free. Come on, in Canada, tell me, do you have any other greater dream than that, living mortgage-free out in the country? You know, maybe have a Holstein cow and a few chickens and, you know, raise some corn and who doesn't like it? But you know what? Every time I think like that, God tells me something. Jason, you're not home. You cannot. You may entertain that idea. But you cannot. Because you are needed where people are there. You are needed where. You are needed in the cities. You are needed where there are people who who are my people for whom I died. There has to be someone who will carry that gospel That is the good news, my gospel, to them. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot. I love the country, but I know I will never be able to live there. Because I am called to where people are. And I am reminded of my own byline. If you read my emails, it says, Missions are about people and not about places. We indeed are the salt and light of the earth. You like it or not, that is our calling. We keep this earth from decay. We are the people who are the call which calls them to some kind of moral understanding of the situation that they find themselves in. We are the people who... with whom they have to rub shoulders. And we are, the, hopefully, we will be the salt and we will be the light if we truly are the blessed people that Jesus talks about. Come to chapter 16 and verse 19 on. I won't read the whole thing. We know, you know, it says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Verse 24 is one of my favorite verses I keep repeating all the time. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God And money. Period. It's an absolute statement. What is it saying? It is what it states is this nothing can come in the way of us following Jesus. The earthly goods that we have our homes, our cars, our bank balances the educational assets that we have, the experiences that God has enabled us to gather on our life's journey is all given to us to be used. It is not given to us for, to be collected. Hoarding is idolatry, let me tell you. Whether you're holding money in a bank for your grandchildren so that their lives will be secure. Or whether you are building mansions, which you don't really require, so that your children's children can live. Or you are trying to go up in your career so that you will be secure, or whatever it is, hoarding is idolatry. We are given things in this world, we are given skills in this world. We are given the experiences in this world so that we can use it for God's kingdom. It is to be used. And when you use it for the kingdom, what happens? You become rich towards God. And that rich towards God looks very poor in our times. Because you may end up not having much by the standards of the world. We got to realize, and I want you to listen to this. We got to realize where God reigns, where God is your master, the lust of gain, the lust of gain must go. Where God reigns, the lust of gain must go. To, to live equally for both is impossible. And I'll tell you the reason why is it so. Our hearts have room only for one all-embracing devotion. At any given point in time, ask yourself, do you have room for two things to be devoted to in your life? As you grow up, you know, as a child, your parents are everything for you. Then your teachers are everything for you. And as an young person, maybe your girlfriend or boyfriend is everything for you. You're so devoted. And as you grow a bit older, you know, means. There are many things. Your career becomes everything for you. Then your security becomes everything for you by the time you're middle-aged and you hit your midlife crisis. And then when you're retired, you're hoping that you'll be healthy till you hit the grave because you don't want to be dependent on anyone. We'll talk about those things a bit later. It's just the pride of humans Then anything to do with not troubling people. Our hearts have room only for one all-embracing devotion. And we can only cleave to one thing, to one Lord. Every competitor to that devotion must be hated. I love this example. Young people in love, if you oppose it, everybody is their enemy. They they can't see anything other than each other. You say, You know, kid, it may not be the best thing for you. No, dad, no mom, you don't know what you're talking. If your friend says it's not the best thing, hey, you're not my friend, you do not understand me. Anything, you know, means that's how it is because we are created like that. We are created, our heart has only room for one person or thing. It doesn't, it cannot accommodate more than that. And I'll tell you, the best person to give it to is the one who gave his life for you. We are in an either-or situation. We cannot have both hands. You cannot have God on one hand. You cannot say, I want to follow Jesus on one hand. And you want to say, you know, I want to at the same time make all the money possible in the world. It's not going to happen. Like I often say, and I often quote Oz Guinness in this, is that either you can choose what to serve God and use all the resources you have to serve him, or you can serve money and use God to serve the money. People use God to make money. They think they're serving God, but they use God to make money. On the other hand, you have the option and the privilege and the blessedness of using all that God has given to serve him. For you cannot serve two masters. You have to make the choice. How stupid we are to think more money, more affluence can bring a smile or buy contentment. Believe me, you can have all the money in the world. It will never be sufficient. You may climb all the ladders you want, and you will find yourself so lonely that when I talk to some of my directors at this point, they're scared to retire because the trend is these guys, they retire, and in six months, they die of a heart attack. Because that was all their lives. You go up and up and up, there is no end. It's like the grave which is never satisfied. Now at the same time, I want to st- say that idleness tempts God instead of trusting Him. So what does 25 and 30 to 35 says? I want to read that. It's chapter 6, verse 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, I want you to listen to this, okay? They neither sow nor reap or ga- or, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let me just spend a few minutes here. What it basically says is this, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to serve him faithfully, what it's saying is don't worry about your dinner, don't worry about what you're going to wear, don't worry about the roof over your head because God your Father knows that you need them. Now the worry or the anxious that Jesus is talking about, I think Matthew Henry gives it quite well. It's basically a disquieting or a tormenting thought, disturbing our joy in God, which breaks up the sleep, hinders our enjoyment of ourselves, friends, and all that God has given. You know that sometimes you sleep, in, you can't s- find sleep in the night. You know why? Because you're just thinking, tomorrow I have this. How am I going to meet my bills? There is, I don't have enough money in the bank. You know, it's, it's that, that thing. How is it going to be our future if two of us don't have a job? I'll make a confession here. <clears throat> you know, my, both my kids are going to college this September, by God's grace. It's going to be an expensive thing. And I don't work at a job where I get paid big, big bucks. We have always lived like that, lived on the edge. But God has always come through. And uh, I, would just, I just left it to God and said, God, though it concerns me and worries me, but I know you will see us through. And the next thing I hear, is, I have been you know thinking about that, and I've not been really worried because of the past experiences, how God has brought us through. The next thing that I hear is, my wife is 162nd or 169th on a list of permanent, uh, you know, uh, long-term teachers. So she's way down there, 169 is way down. And the next thing that I hear is, that she's got a permanent position starting September when my kids are going to go to school. God knew we needed that income. You know, when I think of that, I am brought to my knees because I often think that I need to work for this government so that I can feed my family. I'm going to come to that. You know, listen to this very, very carefully. If I have learned something from this passage, which is so often read, this is something which I picked up and which is so powerfully spoke to me. Man in revolt, that is man or human beings in rebellion against God, who do not know Jesus Christ as a Savior and Lord, imagines, imagines there is a relationship of cause and effect between work and sustenance. Now let me explain what I mean by that. We are often brought up to think that if you don't work, you will not find food. Basically a cause and effect relationship is, if this is not there, this will not happen. But if this is there, this will happen. It's not correlation. In statistics, there's two things. Correlation is different. Cause and effect is different. Cause and effect is, if A happens, B will take place. And B will take place if A happens. If you smoke, you will get cancer. Previously, it was a correlation. Now, it is a cause and effect. If you smoke, you get cancer. If you don't smoke, your chance of getting cancer is less. Less. But the tragedy is, if you have read the latest statistics, one in two people in Canada are going to be afflicted by this disease called cancer, and one in four people are going to die of cancer. So you better secure eternity. Frankly and honestly, that is the statistics. It's staggering, it's scary. Having said that, man in revolt or human in revolt imagines that there is a relationship of cause and effect between work and sustenance, but Jesus explodes that illusion. According to him, bread is not to be valued as a reward of work. Now Paul says, Those who doesn't, he who doesn't work should not eat. Now that is basically, don't tempt God. When God allows you to work, don't tempt God by not working, saying that he will feed me. It is like this person who is drowning and on the rooftop, he says God is going to save me, and you know that, right? The helicopter comes by and says, drops the line, hold on. You know, no, no, God will save me. Then comes a person by the boat and, you know, he says, jump on. He says, no, God will save me. And then he drowns and he goes to heaven and he says, God, you didn't come through. He said, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. So idleness is not what is mentioned here. Don't tempt God with the gifts that God has given you. If God has given you the ability to work, work. If God has opened a job for you, do it. But don't stress about not having a job after having done all that God has enabled you to do. Students, you you study to the best ability so that when you look into the mirror and when you stand before God, you should be able to say, God, with everything that you gave me, I did my best. And even if you fail, it's okay because that is success in God's sight because you have been faithful to what God has given you. Don't abuse the gifts of God. Idleness is not encouraged in the scriptures. But Jesus welcomes to you a carefree, simple life to trust Him. We have to get rid of this myth which, where we, we think that bread is the reward of our work. What Jesus is telling is, according to Jesus, bread is not to be valued as the reward of work. He speaks instead of a carefree simplicity of the man who walks with him and accepts everything as it comes from God. Let me just just, uh, you know, just, just, open it up a little bit more. Martin Luther, this is what he had to say. This is an old English translation, so bear with me. Now, Marky, no beast worketh for his sustenance, or no beast that is no animal, works for his or her food sustenance, but each hath his proper function, but each animal has its proper function, according to which he seeketh and findeth his own food. Now the bird, as we saw in the scriptures, fly and sing, she makes nests and beareth the young, that is a work, but yet she does not nourish herself thereby. Oxen plough, horses draw carts and fight, sheep gives wool, milk and cheese, for it is their function so to do. But they do not nurture themselves thereby. Nay, the earth bringeth forth grass and nurtureth them through God's blessing, like the rain from heaven and the sun. Likewise, it's man's bounden duty to work and to do things. And yet with all to know that it is another, it is God who nurtureth him. It is not his own work, but the bounteous blessings of God. It is true that the bird doth neither sow nor reap. Yet would she die of hunger if she flew not in search of food. But that she findeth the same, or, but that she finds food isn't her work. You know why? But it is the goodness of God. For who put the foot there that she might find it? God put the foot there so that when she flies out in search of foot, she will find. That's why I said you will never find God till God chooses to reveal himself. And that's how Martin Luther ends. For where God hath put not, none findeth, even though the whole world were to work itself to death in search of. You can do all the work. You can collect all the money. But you may come to a point in life where you can never enjoy it. I'll give you a small example. You may have all the money in the world, but you may not be able to eat ice creams. You have diabetes now. You have worked so hard for 50 and 60 years. And what do you use that money for instead of going to vacation? To pay the doctor so that you can have a few more years of health. See, if God doesn't give you health to enjoy the things that you have, if God doesn't put food on your table and gives you the ability to enjoy that food, if you build these big mansions and if God doesn't allow you to stay in it, what's the point? The laborer, you know, the what is it the Bible says the labor labors in means you know the labor labors in vain you know unless until the Lord builds the house the labor labors in vain you know we have got to get rid of this myth it is very very hard but it is critical to our freeing of ourselves so that we can serve God the way he wants us to to get rid of this myth that if we don't work that god is not able to take care of us or it is that our work is a thing which sustains us does it sound countercultural is that what we teach our children Or is it what we teach our children that if you don't study, nobody is going to take care of you? If you don't get a good job, you're going to be on the street. And young people, if you don't have a good job, you may not find a good boy or a girl. We got all our values so screwed up. And we say we follow Jesus. How can we serve a God? If you don't have our values aligned properly, as I've often said, we pray for people to get jobs and then suddenly they're not in church because jobs have become now their God. Because God is displaced, now, if I don't work, what will happen? I've often asked myself, Jason, will you give up your job? If, I was, if God was to call me. And I've struggled with it. You know why? That is why Jesus says, O ye of little faith. It is not that they lack the faith. It is not that we lack the faith, but we are deficient in our faith. We have deficiencies in our faith. But who can f- meet those deficits? Who can complete and who can give us a wholesome faith which is able to go out on the limp and take risk? And be the blessed ones, are the people who are willing to trust Him. But I need to end here. But I need to to you know take your attention to a few more things before I end. Chapter seven, and this is very very important. Fifteen, verse fifteen on it talks about how do you know a tree? We know a tree by its fruit. Because you don't, you know, uh, you know it's a grape tree when you take grapes from it. You know it's an apple tree or a cherry tree when you have apples or cherries from that, right? And then come to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then I will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity or lawlessness or you wicked ones. I want to tell you something and I say this to myself. Confession of faith is very important. Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord and God raised Him, you shall be saved. But confession doesn't save you. It may come as a news for you. Confession alone doesn't save you. You know what saves you? When that confession of faith, that faith which you confessed, becomes your possession. That confession of your faith has to become your possession. And God alone can make that happen. And that is why he says here that there will be many who will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we cast out demons in your name? Haven't we done this and done that? Haven't we gone to Sunday school? Haven't we sat in our churches? Haven't I been a regular member? Haven't I been giving tithes to the church? Haven't I been good to Vijay, the pastor here? You know, all of those things, you may say, I did all of those things, but on that day, God may come to you and say, I don't even know you, you workers of iniquity, you wicked ones, get away, I don't even know you. That is what challenges me today. That is what puts that is, I think that is what Peter is talking about, working out your salvation, fear and trembling. We have become smug and we have, we have come to a point where we think God owes it to us that we should be in heaven. He doesn't owe us anything. If you and I choose to follow Jesus, the blessed ones are the poor in spirit the meek, the persecuted. The people whom the world, you know, chapter 11 of Hebrews, go and read the characteristic of the person. Confession of faith will not save you. Though it is important, you need to confess Jesus as Lord. Confession is important, but that faith has to become your possession. And how do you know that? And that is why Jesus talks about Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man. Chapter 7 and verse 24, who built his house on the rock and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, the beat on the house and it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great, great was the fall of it. There is intentionally that word great is put there because it is those people who have heard, they have confessed but faith was never their possession. Today, this, mo- this afternoon, I want to give myself an opportunity, even as I want to extend this opportunity to you. You know, how kind our God is, how kind Jesus is. He says, O oh, ye of little faith. He doesn't say, O oh, you doubters, O oh, you of no faith. He is so tender and he's so kind. He tells Jason, O oh, ye of little faith. I know you have faith, but your faith is not yet complete. It's okay. So he takes me to the grass, the field, shows me the birds, the beautiful dandelions. You know, he shows me all that and he says, you know, if I care for them, don't I care for you? And then he takes me to the cross and says, if I died for you, will I not care for you? Am I not worth it? That is the question that He asked us today. Is He worth? Is our Savior worth following, living and dying for? Are we willing to stop thinking the way the world thinks that there is some relationship between the things that we do and the sustaining hands of God? We are not the captains of our life. Sorry to say this. Abraham Lincoln said we are the captains of our soul and you know the destiny means the destiny is in our hands but no we are not the captain of our soul. We have seen it, we have experienced it, it has not worked out for us. But God invites you. You know we are of little faith but God can give us the faith that will glorify Him. A faith which will break the myths that enshankles and binds us together. For us even as we read in chapter 6, what is it? The call is, for the believer is, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Yeah. I want you to consider what we spoke this morning, what you heard this morning. And I want you to you know, ask God that He will enable us to, to be what he wants us to be, the courage to, 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 to take him at his word. And in that, I'm sure we will find much blessing. God, we want to thank you for this afternoon and thank you for your word. Lord, we are people of little faith. Lord, will you build our faith? And it is only possible when we get to know you a little better. So our pursuit, Lord, is to know you a little better. And for those, Lord, who do not know you, we pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will break down those barriers and resistance, whatever is coming the way, and that you will gently, Lord, speak to them so that your gentle persuasion will draw them to the foot of the cross. God, help us to be people Lord, of the fellowship of the crucified, so that we may enjoy the fellowship of the beatitudes, the blessedness that you talk about. Lord, will you build us? Lord, will you make us indeed the salt and light of the earth? Will you, will you enable us to be devoted solely to you? Will you enable us, Lord, to be willing to pay the price, to count the cost, knowing that you have paid a cause so far, far, far more superior, which we cannot even fathom, Lord, in giving us your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf so that we could come. Oh God, thank you for letting your Son come, O oh Lord, and be the Son of Man so that we here could become children of God. So we thank you. Lord, will you send us with your grace, with your peace, with your blessing? And Lord, with may your kindness and mercy follow us, Lord. And may we experience it for your glory and for your honor. We ask and offer this prayer in the holy name, the name which is so dear to us, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.